0: back it's like it's like wednesday night man everybody sits in the back we just had to finally just put the pulpit right there in the middle to talk to people uh the end of that song away in the manger and fittest for heaven to live with thee there there's a lot of doctrine in that song more than i than i remember we don't always sing all the verses so we don't catch that you know people sing the "Away in the manger first verse and whatever and call it a day go to the next house but and fittest for heaven um we prayed this morning um you're welcome to come pray with us at nine thirty. The ladies meet. I know Tracy's busy now with uh, kids, but I'm sure Miss Laurie will come and pray with you and, and set time together to pray before the service starts. If Miss Tracy's not there, uh, the men pray upstairs. Um, we do it separately because um, because we have separate issues sometimes that we need to talk about or, or deal with, and that way they can talk about our wives and talk about their husbands, and then God can bring us back together into unity in here, you know. But uh, but just the, just the, um, you know the ease of conversation in that, you know. Um, I'm sorry, I got this mint in my mouth. Um, Sorry, Jed, that'll be stuck on there nicely for you later to peel off with your pocket knife. But um, make a point of coming to that and praying with us. I know a lot of people are like, well, I mean, we do, we have a simplified church service and things like that. That is the, that is what's growing this fellowship is being able to commune with one another, commune with Christ through prayer. It's one of the ways we speak to that's the way we speak to him. He speaks to us. He can speak to us through prayer, as he gives us thoughts and different things, or speaks in one way or another, gives us a word, and then we speak to him in in response through prayer. And and um, we listen to a real nice um, prayer by a man named Carl Conlin, Carter Conlin, I believe is his name, or Conley or Conlin. That's one of those. Anyway, he took over David uh, Wilkerson's church there in in New York City. He's a he's a strong preaching preacher, and I I wonder why New York is as sick as it is because. Because he's been preaching the word there with power for years, and somehow it's it just it's the it's the way of man to run away from God. Anyway, so second week of Advent, um, did my man already hand out the Advent uh, flyers? Okay, one per family. I'm gonna use a little bit of the introduction from there, and then we're gonna go a different. We're not going a different direction. We're talking about Christ coming. The word Advent Dave told us last week is that looking forward to someone famous coming, or that looking forward to a famous event or an expected event. So this Advent, the word Advent, and if you have your thing to use as your family uh, devotion this week and guide, uh, especially if you've got children in the house, but for you old codgers too, it's good to have something to kind of keep your mind on track of what, um, of what the purpose is of this month. Um, so throughout the Old Testament, the prophet spoke of this promised Savior telling people how to recognize his coming and reminding them that God had not forgotten his promises. And those scriptures that we read in the Bible in the Old Testament tell us of this coming virgin, tell us of a star, tell us of him being born in a manger or being born, uh, yeah, in Bethlehem and all these things. And then those things actually happened. So the, the odds of those things happening, very high odds, not possible for all the different uh, prophecies. I've heard it was one in multiple billion, the odds of even just three or four of those different events happening. But for all of the prophecies that were about Christ and his coming, how he lived his life, came into um, Jerusalem on a donkey and, and this kind of obscure ones like that even, the, the numbers are astronomically impossible. It's not possible for anyone to accomplish all those, and yet Christ did. Even, you know, I was thinking about Mary and Joseph going, you know, they lived in Nazareth. They didn't live in Bethlehem. But by God's sovereign will and pressure, he put pressure on them, they had to leave. And they had to go to Bethlehem because it was said, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, that's where he's going to be born. And then, and then uh, the fact that she was still a virgin at that point. They were living as betrothed but an angel appears to them and keeps them separated in that way so that she's still a virgin when she has Christ. All those things are are just beyond the realm of coincidence or possibility. So a lot of people, and I, I don't want to ever demean the Jewish people because those are God's chosen people, the nation of Israel and are the Jews, but the Jewish people were willfully blind to the fact that uh, that these prophecies were fulfilled with christ coming and he sat there and told them i'm fulfilling this prophecy right here i'm fulfilling this prophecy right here and instead of hearing him they were angry at him instead and sought to crucify him and before you put all the blame like martin luther did at the foot of the jew for um for uh for having christ crucified it wasn't the jews that crucified him it was the romans so the gentiles had their part you had your part your sin was was poured out on him just like mine was so just like any jews was so so most Christians are aware that he came, but they don't really see him part of, as part of the Godhead prior to his arrival as a baby in the manger. And I thought this morning we could take a moment, if we could look at the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, and see if what Christ said is true, that all scripture uh, uh, proclaims the things concerning himself. That's what Jesus said on the road to Emmaus. So uh, we've got to start in Luke 24 to do that. I'm going to try and keep you in two books, the other verses. i got a bunch of verses for you, but uh, I'll just read those off to you. And if you want a list of that or you want my notes, I can print them off for you if you'd like that at the end. So let's start in Luke 24, and that's where Jesus states this about himself. And a lot of people, I was, I was reading this, and I saw it. I, I think I read it in Surprised by the Power of the Spirit there, uh, dear. I believe I read it in there. But uh, the way this, this man was a... He was teaching in a seminary, and he's like a uh, seminary student, you know, Zach. He's like, uh, Zach, uh, give me an example of Christ in the Old Testament. And the guy's like, uh, uh, you know, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah uh, 52, Isaiah 53. And he kind of quotes that little part there about him being pierced for our transgressions and that. And he's like, all right, give me another one. And the guy was like, freaky, freaky. he couldn't give two, you know. And they all, I mean, that was what the guy was saying was that they all knew the same example of Christ in the Old Testament. The fact of the matter is, Christ is throughout the Old Testament. Look at Luke 24 right there. Uh, 24, 25 through 27. He said to them, he's talking about them. They're walking down the road. He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. In everything that the prophets, where were the prophets? Were the prophets walking around there in Jerusalem at the time? There was a few, yes. But he's talking about the old prophets. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, where does Moses begin? It's not where you think, it's not Exodus, it's Genesis. So Moses is responsible for the putting together of the first five books. So beginning at Moses and all the prophets, so the entirety of the Old Testament, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So beginning in Genesis, all the way to Malachi, I had to think about a second, I'm about to say Zechariah, but you know g to m uh, genesis to malachi in there he's throughout all those pages well then how come when i open the book i can't find jesus's name in the old testament i can find the name emmanuel it's in there we call his name emmanuel That's in isaiah uh, but we don't see his name we see his son of man we don't see the name jesus we see yeshua or yeshua uh we see jehovah depending on the transliteration of the word there, but we don't see Jesus as far as his name, Jesus. Anyway, um, so another, another example of it, I'm going to give you a couple of New Testament ones and then we're going to go to the Old Testament. So 1 Peter 1.10, it says, of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. Paul's telling Peter, reminding him, the salvation of the gospel, it's true, people are going to come in, uh, you know heretics are going to come, apostates are going to come, they're going to try to lead you away from that. Trust me when I tell you the salvation I'm telling you about is true. The prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace they knew he was coming and verse 11 says, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating So he's coming, Christ, same word as Messiah the Christ the Messiah, the time of the Messiah, he's coming, when is he coming? the Old Testament prophets are they're just reading, reading reading how come we can't find this guy? Where is he at? where How's he ever been here Romans 3: twenty one but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, in other words, manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets again manifested the fact that Christ was in the Old Testament. So all those quotes, like I said, are from the New Testament. So how can we say that Christ is implied throughout the Old Testament? I want you to go to the book of John. Still in the New Testament, you say, but we're fixing the transition right here. Just Hold on to your horses, as they say. John 12. Let's start in verse 37. i, I got to tell you this. So if I read, I've read the Gospel of John maybe more than any other book primarily because whenever I go to Peru, that's the main uh, Bible track I give out is the Gospel of John. I've read it in Spanish, I've read it in English, I've read it in Spanish again, and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't quote it to you in Spanish, and I can't really quote it all in English. I should be able to, but I can't. But the point is, is that in John, what I really like about John is that Jesus proclaims himself the, uh, the Son of God. He proclaims himself able to raise men from the dead. And he does that at least five times in the book of John, that he has the power to raise dead men to life. And so when I'm talking to people about the gospel, the fact that they've been dead in their trespasses and sin, and that Jesus has the power to raise people from the dead, well, here, read this book. It'll help you understand that. Okay, now I want you to think about this. All scripture is God-breathed, profitable, and so on. The scriptures were wrote, wrote down by holy men of God. Okay, so the book of John was written by John, right? Not John the Baptist, John the Revelator, same one who writes Revelation, one of the apostles of Christ, that John, okay? So John writes this book down, so he's doing the play-by-play of his experiences with Christ. If you notice when you read the book of John, or if you have, are our other Bibles, are they red-letter ones? I'm not sure if they are not. But in, in those red-letter Bibles, you can see where it's Christ speaking, and then there's the part where John is like amplifying what was going on. Here's what's going on. Then we traveled from here to here. Then we met this person. And then Jesus said, and he goes back to red. Okay? So he's telling what's going on. As I read John right here in John 12, 37, it'll kind of trick you because you just see Jesus speaking. Then Je- verse 35, Jesus said to them a little while longer, Jesus speaking. But it doesn't say, and then John said, but at verse 37 it says, but although he had done so many signs, we would changed who's speaking. So John's giving them some placement of what's going on. All the things that Jesus just spoke about, John is now going to tell us that he's speaking about a time where Jesus was predicting, or Jesus is explaining that this was all predicted in the Old Testament, prophesied. So verse 37 is John giving the backstory or setting the stage, so to speak, for where what Jesus has just said, where that relates to him in the Old Testament verse thirty seven although he capitalized he so its Christ had done so many signs before them, yet they did not believe in him, capitalized him that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, Isaiah Old Testament, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed, Therefore they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. So that I should heal them these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him saw whose glory He saw Christ's glory Isaiah saw Christ's glory and he spoke of him in Isaiah How many years are we back Isaiah 800 years? I think we're like Six eight hundred years there. I believe i'm, I'm not positive. on I should know better But I believe that's correct. It's about six eight hundred years. Am I right on that day seven hundred years? It's a ways he's back there a ways and Isaiah says, uh, these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. We may hit that verse in a second. It just depends. So John's relating historical stories, and he's pointing out that Christ satisfied these. And in this particular situation, Christ says these words. And John says, it said he was going to say these words, and it said that people were going to respond in this way, and they do. So they respond with blinded eyes, willfully blinded eyes, because if they acknowledge that he's the Messiah, then the Pharisees have to give up their position of authority. They have to give up their spot of prestige. The the other people might have to change things in their life. If this guy is in fact the Messiah, then we're going to have to change the way we do things. I would rather not. I'll just keep on doing what I'm doing. So, in John 12, 41, these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Like I said, whose glory? It's Christ's glory. The Bible tells us, and this is this is something I'm going to dwell on a second. <laughs> Jed sent me a picture the other day. It was kind of funny. It had like a, a little children's slide. <laughs> and it's like, the children's slide is coming down, and right here is a manhole. And he's like, um, the slide said... Uh, the doctrine of the Trinity, and in the manhole said, heresy. Like, Oral you're going to slide off the slide right in there. No matter what you say, as the human Jesus mind, we're going to mess it up. Amen. But I'm going to tell you as best I know how, and you're going to have to take it from there. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You need to study for yourself and make sure I'm telling you right, okay? But I will tell you what I believe to be true, as close as I can tell. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak through me this morning. So, the glory Isaiah is talking about is Christ's glory. He saw Christ. This is an interesting statement. The Bible says that no one can see the Lord and live. No one can see God, I'm sorry, no one can see God and live. But in Isaiah chapter 6, it says that Isaiah sees him high and lifted up, sitting on a throne, and this robe fills the temple. Who is he seeing? If it just said, well, I'll read them to you. The Bible says that no one can see God and live. Who is he seeing? God the Father. Oh, let me tell you another one. So God tells Moses, remember Moses? He's like, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see your face. I want to see your glory. You can't see my glory. You can't see my face. It does say that the, that the 70 elders were up there with Moses. It says they see his feet on like a bed of burning sapphire. Was that God the Father? I would say not, because the Bible describes God the Father as invisible. Um, Elijah asked to see his glory, and he tucks him in a rock, and he says, I'll tell you what, I'll pass by. You can look at my back, but you can't see my face. You, you can't. No man can see God and live, is what it says. Adam walked daily in the garden with someone. Who did he walk with? Adam was a man. He walked in the garden daily. Who did he walk with? No man can see my face and live. Genesis 18.1 says then the Lord appeared to Abraham at the terebinth trees of Mamre. Who was that? Then it says, it, it Sarah's kind of mocking like, well, you know, I'm an old woman. I'm not having no kid. And the Lord says, is anything too hard for the Lord? He says, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. He's sitting there. uh, Here's Abraham, and here's the Lord. And he's like, they're having a conversation like this. And he's saying, I'm going to return to you. I'm here now, and you can see me in a physical form, and I'm going to come back. Who was was he talking to? God the Father is described as invisible and unable to be seen by men. No man can see him and live. So it goes to reason. The Bible says in Hebrews 1, 3, that Jesus Christ is the express image of God. He's what God looks like walking around in a human form. He's He's all, everything that God is, he is. But there's an aspect of God the Father that is invisible. And I believe that Christ, in the Old Testament, I would say, the one, whenever someone is presented with a human form of God, what you're seeing is Christ. (sighs) The intervention, anytime we see God intervene among men, we see it in the form of Christ. This is a hard thing. It's gonna it may trip you up. Colossians one fifteen. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. John one eighteen. No one has seen the has seen God at any time, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. Christ has explained him, God. First Timothy 6.16, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Exodus 33.20, but he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Job 9.11, were he to pass by me, I would not see him. Were he, were he to move past me, I would not perceive him. Job twenty three eight. behold, I go forward, but he is not there and backward, I cannot perceive him. John 5.37, and the Father who sent me, Christ, has testified, he has testified of me, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, God the Father. First Timothy one seventeen now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. First John 4.12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that we are without excuse. I don't know what to tell you, but I'm telling you that when you see God, you're not seeing God the Father. God didn't just suddenly, and this is something we got to really ponder, God didn't just suddenly need a mediator for men around, you know, December 24 or about 2,000 years ago. Right? He didn't make a split decision like, you know what? I'll send my only begotten son. I'll send him down there as a... Ba-. He, it wasn't... This thing was in the plan, proto-evangelium. We read it last week. Dave wrote it out with his big vocabulary he's learned down there. But it's the word. That's where. <laughs> that's the first view of the coming Messiah. It's coming That's Genesis, what is that, Three. 315... That's 4,000 years before Jesus of Nazareth on earth, okay? But before that, Christ was there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word God is the word Elohim, Elohim. El, the word el is the name of God. I-M makes something plural, okay? el o the I-M makes it plural, It's God. Let us make man in our image. Go back and check it out and see if I'm telling you the truth. There's more than one personality there. Who's there? Christ is there. The Holy Spirit is there. I, wisdom, was with God in the beginning. Whose wisdom? The Holy Spirit was there in the beginning at creation. That's in Proverbs if you want to look that one up. It's a a one-person team of three points. It's hard to grasp. We're getting close to the hole, man. We're fixing to fall in at the end of the slide. But I'm telling you, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Christ was there from the beginning. The point is, is that Jesus, Jehovah, Yeshua, Yahashua, Hamashiach, whatever you want to call him, just like we have different names or different transliterations for names here, we call him Anthony, Tony. I call him Mr. T, like the pro wrestler back in the day with the gold chains because he got his big cross on there. You know, we, you can have more than one correct name for a person. As you understand him greater, like we would call Abba Father, what we call him Daddy Father, we wouldn't use that lightly because it would be disrespectful. I don't go up to, to Jed, I'm not his I'm not his baby. I don't call him Daddy, unless I'm teasing him. But, you know, I don't call him Daddy. But Moses calls him, he doesn't call him Jed. He might call him Sir, he's going to call him Daddy or Dada. Because he has a different love relationship with him. As we come to know the father better, feel comfortable and call him Abba, father, daddy. If you don't know him, be careful. Don't go to the neighbor's house and start calling that guy's those kids, dad, daddy. Anyway, Christ was there from the beginning. He was there in a physical form and he walked with Adam in the garden. He was with Jacob. Uh, Strong asked me this morning, he said, man, what about Jacob? And as soon he wrestled with him, you know, he wrestled with God. You know, God's so much powerful. I- I'm going to tell you, Jed, I'm just going to warn you, because I know you're kind of out of shape already. Moses is going to want to wrestle like every day, son. And Jed will have the sheer power to crush him like a bug. But what he's going to do is he's going to let Moses think he's winning. Until he gets about 16. Jimmy was telling me a good one on that. And then you'll have to slap him down one time to remind him that he has the power to beat him up. He just doesn't because he loves him. when God comes down, yes, honey, he'll get, I'm telling you, he'll get better. He'll be in on it. He'll be jumping off the top rope on Jed. Okay, I was walking through the parking lot yesterday and Kaylee, my daughter Kaylee, she's, she's stout like bull. She jumps on my back. I'm like, ah. I, mean, I'm going to, I mean, they want to wrestle. Okay. It's, it's what we, we love. We love each other as family. And it's one way that you get the human contact in there. God sees Jacob down there. And he's like, I'm going to go play with my, my boy there for a second. And Jacob thinks it's for real. He's like, I got God in a, you know, it's just like Jimmy was telling me with his father. He said he had him in a headlock. He was cranking down on it. I was the man. And he said, my daddy looked at me and said, you think you can whoop me, don't you, boy? And he's, you're like, oh, yeah. And he said he flung him off. He hit the wall. He was kind of wounded over there. And he's like, don't you ever think you can whoop me? Yes, daddy. And that's it happened with Jacob. It doesn't say that God wrenched his joint or his leg, his hip out of joint. It says he touched it. That's what happens when an all-powerful God comes down and interacts with man. He doesn't have to use power. He just... And Jacob's limping for the rest of his life. Gideon saw him. Abraham saw him. Isaiah saw him. John the Revelator saw him. Daniel saw him. John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. Who did he see? What John is saying is that all that Jesus is and does Interprets and explains who God the Father is and does. So I'll give you another point. I, I the more I thought about this, the, the richer it was for me. If I, if you're not getting the point, I'm sorry. You can tell me about it over lunch. How I have failed you miserably in telling you about Christ in the Old Testament, but Jesus is particular. Or um, okay. So so we can see him in these different interactions with men. Like I gave you those examples. Okay. You can see him in inanimate things as well in the Old Testament. In animal, inanimate means it doesn't have life. A stick is inanimate. We see him as the rock that was struck and water came out of. You can make a picture of him as the rock that David threw and struck Goliath. You can, you can portray him in um, the burning bush, the redeemer of the Israelites. In um, all those pictures, you're seeing God's plan of redemption from the beginning and who he uses, the mediator that he uses. It's not God himself that comes down there. It is. It's in the form of Christ. Go down there and handle this thing. Got it. He's on it. And those different... So maybe, I don't want to do lightly the, the, word of the, Holy, or the word of God, the Old Testament, but you've got to kind of carefully think of it as a novel. The point of the novel, the whole novel, it's a big mystery. And the goal of the whole thing is to help you see God's hand on man, to bring him to this one point in history, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And the whole of the Old Testament brings us to that point. Every story, every situation, every prophet, every king, every priest, every tale brings us to that point of seeing the Uh, all of history steered by the sovereign hand of god to this point in time where christ comes physically where all men can see him not just presenting himself to jacob not just presenting himself to gideon or to samuel but to all men and they have a chance to um, witness him and see god intervene in time whenever god interacts with man you're going to find christ if you think about the arks in the Bible, just to give you three little examples here, the arks first. You got Noah's Ark, you got the ark that Moses was in, the bulrushes, right? And you got the Ark of the Covenant. Noah's Ark, if you want to look at the picture, you want to make it about Christ, here it is. The Bible says that God judged the earth in that time he flooded the earth. The water is the judgment. Everything outside the ark is judgment. If you're not inside the ark, you're in judgment. You're going to drown, you're going to die. It says that he covered the ark with pitch. Same word as atonement, okay? So if you're outside the ark, you're outside the atonement. You're inside the ark, you're inside the atonement. And it says that the inside of the ark that he was to build rooms, the, 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 the Hebrew word is nests, like a bird nest, like a place of rest. So you got rest on the inside of the ark, you got atonement on the outside of the ark, on the body of the ark, and outside of that you got the judgment. That's Christ. Moses' ark is the same picture. He was resting on the inside. His little reeds of bulrushes was covered with pitch, it says. Same word, atonement. You've got judgment on the outside. You get outside the boat, you're going to get yoked by the, by the Pharaoh of the time, and he's going to make sure you don't make it to adulthood. The same picture. Ark of the Covenant, same picture. The judgment's on the outside of the ark. Once you get outside of the holies of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant sits is where the judgment is. It's all made out of brass, bronze. And that's the, that's the, um, the medal of judgment. Inside the ark is rest. What about in the animals? The animal, uh, the, the thing that Adam tried to cover himself with, the leaves that he covered, it says fig leaves, um, that he tried to cover, he was covering himself with his own unrighteousness. He recognized he was in sin. Who told you you were naked? He recognized he was in sin, so he makes his own outfit, one for him and his wife. Uh, who knows what he even covered, you know? He may not have thought what we thought was modest. the part to cover. He may have just put a hat on. We don't know. Whatever he put on, he's like, I'm better now. I'm covered. But the fact of the matter is it was his own righteousness. It was wickedness. It was filthy rags. And Christ takes those off and covers him with a skin that he considers righteousness. Did you ever think about that? In the garden, right off with Adam. Uh, the ram caught in the thicket, provided by God. Look up. He sees the ram caught in the thicket. The Lord will provide. provides the ram. Knowing full well that in the future, Christ is going to have to be on the very same hill and provide the very same sacrifice, but it's actually going to have long-term impact. It's not going to be a short-term sacrifice like the ram. Or the Passover lamb. And they're all to become friends with it. And then the father has to kill it in front of the family. An innocent lamb has to die so that the family can be redeemed for that next year. Or in what it says in Revelation. Like John sees him and he says. He was like a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. He's always the lamb. You see a lamb in the Bible. You ought to be seeing Christ. Or in individuals. The individual men set to care for um, for Israel. You know the word Israel means one that contends with God. You know that? So God comes down. He wrestles with Jacob. And we see it as changing his name from supplanter, liar, trickster, to one who contends with God. And then we think about the nation Israel and how they constantly fought against God, century after century, century, rejected God, rejected Christ, rejected all those things. And he's like, I sent you prophets and you killed them. And I sent my son and you killed him. What more can I send? Anyway, so he changes his name to one who contends with god and we look at the jews and go man can you believe how they contend with god that's you you contend with god you do your own thing and you live your own life and you do your own whatever you contend with god and yet god touched him and he used him moses the redeemer joshua same name as christ just joshua and christ transliterated transliterated same word uh, Daniel, the Bible says he's, he saw one like the son of man. Ezekiel is called the son of man, which is the name that Christ calls himself the son of man when he deals with men. The book of Judges, again, Christ, the mediator, sits on the, sits on the throne. He sits on the, on the mercy seat, on the Ark of the Covenant. Christ is demonstrated using any one of these pictures. You pick one, and you can see that they're always pointing to Christ or a picture of Christ. Even Balaam, (laughs) you remember Balaam? And uh, the ass that spoke, he's pulling his donkey or whatever and then it stops and then the angel speaks and he starts whipping his donkey or whatever. Even Balaam makes a prophecy in uh, Numbers 24 that the Messiah is coming. He's the one that says that there's going to be a star in a certain place and the Magi come from the same place that Balaam came from, even Balaam, a wicked prophet, is still used as a messenger of Christ. He still, he actually is a mediator because the, the, um, the bad guys want to kill the Israelites and are trying to get Balaam to prophesy against them, and Balaam becomes a mediator between the bad guys and Israel. Even he is a picture of Christ. For the Jews, Jesus was nearly impossible to see as the Messiah, but mainly because they were so willfully blind. I want to go, uh, yeah, John, I'm right there. Um, to follow him, they would have had to leave their old lives behind. It was a terrible thing what it says there. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess unless they be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Who. Remember that definition of Advent, again, looking forward to that big event of a person. Go to Luke chapter 2. God is a good God. He cares for us. If If we desire him, it says he'll give us the desires of our heart. When our heart desires him, he's going to give us that desire. And there was some that had so long looked for, I'm going to show you something here, but had so long looked for the coming of the Messiah, and when they saw him, they knew it was him. A good example is John. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He sees him walking. That's the one. The Holy Spirit comes on. He's already filled with the Spirit. He sees it, sees him. He knew him as his cousin already, but now he sees him. That's, that's the one. He recognizes the Messiah in the flesh. Luke 2, 25. man named Simeon. So the shepherds have already seen the star, the wise men have already come. Here's Simeon. Behold, there's a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He desired God, and God uses men that desire him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, a Jew speaking, enemy of the Gentiles, and he recognizing that he's the light of the entire world and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, and the thought of many hearts will be revealed. Hmm. Look at this next lady, Anna. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years. So she was only married about seven years, died and had been a widow for the next 84, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers day and night. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. She got to see the desire of her heart. She didn't keep it to herself. That's the Messiah. How does she know, as him and an infant, that's the Holy Spirit, that's a message for another day, that the Holy Spirit working on her sees the Messiah, and does she keep it to herself? No. She's very different from the Pharisees we saw right there, where it says, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. She goes out immediately, it says, uh, and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Anyone that was hungry... She was willing to proclaim the word of God to that the Messiah had in fact come. All those Old Testament scriptures, we've been looking at them all these years. He's here. And she spoke it out. Look at, I got a, this is the last big verse right here. John 8, 56. Those people desired to see Christ and they saw him. John 8, 56. So Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. They're always you know, cutting him and whatever. You can say what you are, but whatever, we don't buy it. Jesus answered, start at 54. If I honor, so they're they're saying, are you really this? Are you really greater than Abraham? Are you really, I mean, whatever, you're just talking big. Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you are. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And the Jews said to him, You're not even 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Abraham didn't see him once. saw him at least twice. He saw him when he was alive, and he sat under the terebinth trees at Mamre, and then he came back, so maybe three times, maybe more. Saw him there, and then he saw him in heaven. The word is Jesus in present, in the present. I am. I am there. I am here. I am future. I am. I am way past before you can fathom time. I am. I am. I am all the time. We can't grab that in our minds because I was here. I was there. I went over there. I'm going to go there. I am. The I am is a constant. Jesus reminds them that That Abraham was looking forward to that day that they're standing there talking together and they're like, well, how could could you have ever talked to Abraham? He's like, man, I am. Way before Abraham I am. Way after you croak I am. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. When Abraham saw him in his day or when he saw him in the heavens both times. Remember, he sees him coming, says he's under the terebinth trees, if you want to go back and read that. Um, It's like, he's like, whoop. There's some men coming. Ooh, one like the Son of Man. Hey, go get the good sheep. Go kill a bunch of them get something to drink. He's like excited to see God coming in the flesh. He doesn't just, yeah, come sit over here and, honey, go get us a cup of water or something. I mean, he's bringing out the best they got, and he's going to put it out there for them. He was excited to see that day, and that's what Jesus is saying. He said, not only that, he saw me later in the heavens. I was, I am there. I was, I am before, and he saw me both places. Jesus is not just patterned in the Old Testament as in the rock that was split or the, or the, uh, you know in the parting of the Red Sea or, or any other burning bush or anything like that. He wasn't just patterned and he wasn't just promised by the different prophets, although he was seen there, but he was present in the Old Testament. It shows, I mean, he shows mediation from the creation of the earth. What did he create the earth for? created it for men. So from the very start, he's going to make a nice place for men to dwell. Now, we messed it up. But even in that, he doesn't allow God's wrath to just destroy Adam. He could have. He could have destroyed Adam, destroyed the creation, and done it again, but he doesn't. He mediates, and he comes, and he makes a robe for Adam or makes some clothing somehow for Adam and Eve, and he puts it on him. That's that's what a mediator does. He covers them with righteous garments and he discards their unrighteous garments. How humiliating. Uh, You've made your own unrighteous garments and you stand before the mediator. In order to put on the new ones, we've got to take off the old ones. And you know what you are underneath. And he removes those lovingly and he puts these on. That's the only way it works. He shows grace to Abraham in providing the ram, knowing full well that he's going to to be the future ram. And he continues to rescue and redeem Israel over and over and over, and in the Gentiles, over and over and over. And like it says in in the New Testament, and to those who would receive him, to these he gives the right to be called the sons of God. He keeps doing it over time, He intervenes in time to the point where he's uh, born, lives, dies on the cross, leaves, still present today at the right hand of the Father, making mediation for us. The I am, I don't know what the word is, the I amness, the I am ability of Christ is the reality of him always being omnipresent. We think of him being omnipresent, meaning everywhere, but he's not just everywhere everywhere. In the present tense, he's everywhere of all time, past, present, future. And it's an eternity past that's far beyond what our mind can grasp, and it's an eternity future far beyond what our human mind can can grab a hold of. And in that one little point in history of all of creation where it comes down to this little point, this one little tiny point, he separates himself from from the rightful throne room where he very much deserves to sit. It, he created it all. He created the whole machine and he leaves this place of power and preeminence. What was our words last week? Eminence and... What was the other one? Uh, forgot it. Trans uh, Transcendence. Thank you, Dave. See, I was listening, Dave. I heard eminence anyway. No, I wrote the notes down. He, he, he transcends time... He intersects time. I mean, it's, it's a bigger thing than we can grasp. And he allows himself to be tempted as any man, worse than any man, and to be treated worse than any man so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. The Bible says he made him who knew no sin to be made sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He made him, God the Father, made him, Christ, who knew no sin, To be made sin for us who is full of sin. If you're like me, you may even be fuller. I don't know. I'll have to come check you out one day to see how sinful you are. So that we could gain his righteousness so that we could in fact eventually see the face of God and live. Can't see him now. Because we still got that natural man in us. But when we're covered with Christ's righteousness, we can. So that awaited moment of that advent, that awaited moment of all of the Old Testament, came in the flesh. And it was the event that all of history was waiting for. And the Bible says, But as many as received him, to him, to them he gave the power to become sons of God, even to them who believe on his name, John 1.12. So, when, in a way, I mean, I, I remember Christmas as a child and enjoyed getting presents. It was a lot smaller deal than it is now, to get two presents or something One year I got a hatchet. That was my main present. And I promptly cut the tip of my finger off with it. And, um, you know, one year I got a BB gun, uh, a little pellet gun. And uh, that was pretty much, that was it. You got like one thing. And those were when I was a little bit older. And actually once the folks got divorced, there was a little more guilt there on dad's part. So the presents got a little better. But but when we were young, man, you got a little candy or you got a a stocking, you know, and whatever. And it wasn't about all the stuff. And we actually tarnish in a way, and I don't want to, man, I don't want to take anything away from you guys who are like, I'm buying you kids nothing because Jesus is the greatest gift of all. I don't, I don't want it to be that, you know, be generous, Grace. No, we, don't get them tight over there, but I know you got a lot of kids, honey. I'll, I'll help you. we got extra presents laying around here. But, uh, no, I, I don't want to, we've we got to be careful that we don't tarnish the greatest gift of all by passing these gifts around to one another and losing our focus about what the greatest gift is. It was already given. A king, the greatest king that ever was or will be, the I am, came, intercepted time, lived a perfect sinless life, was tortured and tempted more than any man, died on our behalf, and rose again, and he still sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Man, you treat me like that, I don't know how much intercession I'm doing for you. His value is immeasurable, and his life makes a way for us to become children of God. So this morning, we sang those songs about his coming, joy to the world, you know, away in the manger. And if we sing them too many songs, I mean, we sing them too many times, it gets wrote and we're not thinking about the words. But when I saw the words on the board and it said, um, he makes us fit and fit for heaven to live with him there. He, this time in life that he works on us and this place here is what prepares us to be with Him there, and that's uh, that's a thing we need to ponder this morning. As you sit here, and maybe you heard what I said. I want you to get tangled up with the fact that you know I gave you a bunch of Bible verses, and and Jesus wasn't yes he was in the Old Testament. The reality is that he sits today at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you. He did come. It's a verifiable fact. At least 500 witnesses we know there in Corinthians it says in other places in the Bible we know that the, the disciples saw him and Paul saw him and Paul said he saw him as an apostle out of time. He actually visibly saw Christ not as an apostle but later and he knows that Christ lived, died, rose again. He was a real personality that existed in time. But more than that, He's existed since before time, and his role has always been a mediator between God and men. And he would like to do that for you today. If you don't know Christ, then today is the day of your salvation. And you can say, well, I know I know of him. I know all them Bible stories you talked about in there. I know all those Bible stories in the New Testament. I've read the Gospel of John 73 times more than you have. Well, that's that's great. Does he know you? That's the thing that's really, God's really been working on my heart is the fact is we can know of him, does he know you? Because if he doesn't know you, he says, depart from me, you doer of iniquity, I never knew you. So how do we know him and him know us? And it starts with us admitting that we are completely guilty in the fact that we're full of sin. We are born in trespasses and sin. And he came to mediate for you to take off those homemade self-righteous garments that you've made for yourself when you tell yourself I'm a good person and he's going to strip you bare and he's going to expose you for what you really are. You can be exposed now or you can wait and be exposed in the throne room. And if you're exposed in the throne room, uh, there is a slide that leads to a hole. Hmm. This morning, please contemplate that. I beseech thee, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would hear God's word today and repent while there's still time. Father, this morning as we, as we come together, we thank you for the fact that always you have presented your son, Jesus, before us as a mediator. And since the dawn of time, you've, you've placed him in history to lead men to reconciliation with you. And I thank you that at one point in my life, you uh, helped me to recognize my need for a Savior That you showed me what a sinner I was and that I was living a life that was apart from you and I was living in my own flesh and I was doing my own thing. But then you came through and you revealed yourself to me. I pray for those that are here today, Lord, that that they heard the word, that their heart would be softened and they would repent while there's still time. I thank you, Lord, for these that have come, Lord. I pray as they heard the word, that it would sink down in their heart, convict their spirit, and they would be used by you to draw them closer to you in reconciliation with the Father. Thank you for all the ways you've blessed this place. Thank you for this place we have to worship with one another and to enjoy time together. I thank you for the food in the hands that prepared it, Lord. I thank you for the fellowship of these that are saved. I pray now, Lord, that we would be about doing your will above all, that we would seek your face with our whole heart, and that we would be of the remnant no matter what happens in our nation. We pray for our nation, but no matter what that we would maintain, we would be the remnant, Lord that you could use to draw people to yourself. Thank you, Lord, for this blessing and this place and this time, these that have come. Thank you for coming as a child, but sitting today as a king. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Before you go, if today is the day, you want to talk to me about that, or you're you're a convicting spirit, or you don't even know, you don't know what's going on, I'd love to speak to you about that. If you've got a health thing you want to pray about, we'd like to talk about that. Um, Me and Warren and Uncle Ray are going to go to Peru tomorrow, We'll be back on the 19th, and uh, there'll still be a service here Wednesday, and there'll still be a service here Sunday. Come and worship together uh, with this body of believers, okay? And be in prayer for us this week. I pray that God goes before us and prepares those hearts there, so. All right, God bless you all. Stay and eat with us. We got plenty of food, and uh, stay and eat, okay?